Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, hello again, everybody. We are back for another Blue Gold Report podcast. I'm Mike Rags, my co-host Todd Burlidge, coming in in a couple of seconds. i got to remind you, though, that the Blue Gold Report podcast is brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And, of course, wherever you find us, make sure you rate us, you uh, rank us, you do whatever you got to do to let everybody know about us. How about that? Uh, we appreciate all of you listening. And, of course, uh, we are on every uh, Saturday morning We're on uh, ESPN 1380 and 100.9 FM out of Fort Wayne. We are on at 7 o'clock. Uh, is that when we're on, Todd? I can't even remember. Yeah, 7 o'clock. Yes, sir. 7 a.m. I only run the show. I just can't remember when we're on. <laughs> yes, uh, 7 o'clock. Following us every Saturday now is the Fighting Irish Preview with Phil Houck and Tim Priester, and that'll happen if you're listening on the radio in one short half hour. It's going to be a short half hour because we got a lot to do. We're going to talk about the big win last week over a ranked team. That's right. It was a little early, although watching Michigan not sure they should have been ranked uh we'll talk about that win we'll get you ready for the first time ever ball state in town and what the 33 and some odd point uh favorite notre dame needs to do to win this game probably not that much and we'll talk about their o-line what we learned out of the running back situation and a heck of a lot more but let's bring him in right now uh this weekend's weather is going to be a lot rougher than last weekend's todd as you're sitting up there in the press box it's todd burlidge from the blue gold illustrated lead writer there Notre Dame Sports. Todd, how you doing? Doing well, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, one thing off the top of my mind, that could be some sort of equalizer, I guess. Uh, to, uh, we record this Friday. I say tomorrow for the Notre Dame Ball State game is the forecast looks a little wet. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be too bad. So, you know, it's still mid-September here, so it's not going to be freezing cold or anything. I don't think it'll slow anybody up that much. Um, I don't know that any, I don't know that a hurricane could keep Notre Dame from beating Ball State. <laughs> No, you are probably right. And I, I was telling you off the air, I was going to pull some audio from our show last week because, you know, I happened to predict the winner and score exactly right. Uh, not that I know everything, but I tend to know a lot. And I, I kind of <laughs> knew it was going to be 24-17. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that win and our general thoughts uh, on what went on last weekend. The first half was really good. Second half, they kind of went into a lull. But we'll, we'll go into that in a bit. First, we start every show with your blue gold nuggets and i know you got three of them for us i do have three of them for you um let's start with some women's hoops here i don't know they're gonna run out of space in those trophy cabinets there at the joyce center because uh more honors are heading muffet mcgraw's way here in the coming months actually one starts tonight we record on friday so she's having there's a dinner out at notre dame where she's going to receive um, the Rockney Champion Award kind of goes to the best coach, most that, that had the best season. It's all part of an awards banquet, basically. It gives out a lot of different uh, honors to to coaches and players, etc. And that's at the Palais Royale. Actually, if you want to go to that, although folks, unless you listen to the podcast, it's eighty bucks to get in. So, kind of a local deal there. And then it, it heats up a little bit. September twenty first, Muffet will be off to New York City. She's going to receive the two thousand eighteen Joe Lapchick, a former great coach, great basketball coach character award and it kind of speaks for itself there rags it goes to a basketball coach that has a lot of success on the court but exemplifies the university and her team well as well so that will uh, be gone her way and i think the biggie uh well a couple biggies here this one is a little strange to me but on october 3rd muffet will be inducted into the chicago land sports hall of fame 
She'll go in with former running back Eric Dickerson and former Bears kicker Kevin Butler, among others. I don't know what I don't know what Muffet's connection to Chicagoland is, though. I don't maybe their umbrella for this Hall of Fame stretches out here to South Bend. I don't know, but for one way or another, she's going to be in that Hall of Fame. And I think the big big one for me here on November first, Muffet's going to be inducted into the Philadelphia Hall of Fame. She's a Philadelphia girl, so that would explain that one. Uh, pretty star-studded cast here. She's going to be inducted with uh, Allen Iverson, former Philadelphia 76er, Brian Westbrook, former Philadelphia Eagle, and Jamie Moyer, former Philadelphia Philly. So uh, Muffet will be part of that group that goes into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. We congratulate her on that. Rags, we've been trying to keep tabs a little bit on some of the NFL comings and goings for former Irish players. Uh, Michael Floyd did not make the cut with the New Orleans Saints. Um, the, the, the rosters had to be trimmed to 53 on Saturday, you know, last Saturday. Uh, so there, there's been some casualties here. Michael Floyd's one of them with the Saints. John Metellus, Detroit Lions, he was uh, offensive lineman. He was also cut. And Josh Adams, as good of a job as he did, he actually led all Eagles running backs through the preseason uh, with 90 rushing yards. Just too crowded a backfield there, Rags. You kind of predicted this might happen. He did not survive the cut with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so those were three of the 1,184 players who drew the pink slip before Saturday's rosters had to be trimmed. Peyton, Sean Payton's Saints coach, came out and said, Floyd, we like him. He's a nice player, but he's up to 220-plus pounds, and he can't play at that kind of weight. So that suggests something to you right there that Michael Floyd can't keep himself in shape. And obviously it did him in. Uh, on a side note here, cornerback Bennett Jackson, he was put on season-ending injured reserve by the Baltimore Ravens. A couple good news, Kaiser ends up the backup to Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, and Equinemius St. Brown also stuck with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, so a little bit of good news on that front. Moving on to the current team, uh, one injury, and one fairly significant injury came out of the game on Saturday against Michigan and I'm kind of thankful that I won't have to, it's not very nice to say, but I'm thankful I won't have to try to pronounce his name a whole bunch this year. But Myron <laughs> Tagovelio Amosa, he was really provided nice depth working behind Jerry Tillery along that defensive line at defensive tackle. He broke his foot. He's going to be out for about 10 weeks. Um, he's a nice player, 6'3", 285 pounds, just a young guy. Um, really pushed Tillery, and Tillery pushed him. It, it was good competition during practice and, and training camp. Obviously, Tillery was going to win that job, uh, but certainly uh, Amosa was able to learn a lot from him. Uh, so he'll be out 10 weeks. If there's a little bit of a silver lining in here, you, you know, you, typically you'd say, well, he's got to be done for the season. But what you have now, uh, Rags, with this new redshirt rule where you can play four games and still preserve yeah. your that, that, that sort of waiver year, that redshirt year, he might fall into this where he can maybe play the last three games if he's healthy enough and yet still get a medical red shirt. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. A little bit of bad news uh, for the Irish there, and that's your blue gold nuggets. That's the first thing I thought of when you talked about that. I, I said, well, wait a minute. Uh, this this might mean, you know, in the past it mean a whole year gone, and now it actually might not be as bad a news as it could have possibly been. And as far as the NFL cuts go, uh, yeah, a little surprised, but not surprised about Josh Adams. But remember, running back, a very fickle position in the NFL. Sure. Uh, and a couple injuries here. Uh, a holdout a little longer in Pittsburgh there. And he might find his way onto a team uh, somewhere. So we wish Josh the best, which, you know. And Deshaun Kaiser, best news for him was Brett Hundley getting traded because then yeah. it kind of just opened the door for him to stay in Green Bay. So that's uh, that's good stuff there. Not expecting spectacular things from those players, but Equinamius uh, could find his way of getting some catches with a great quarterback ahead of him. All right, Todd, last weekend, uh, two ranked teams opening week. 
uh, Notre Dame, Michigan at Notre Dame Stadium. I was very impressed by uh, the the start of the game. Uh, Brandon Wimbush and and the offense looked like it was clicking at points. A great deep pass over the middle that was robbed away from a, a defensive back from Michigan, uh, and they were away. They went, but it almost seemed like in the second half they kind of reined in the horses. They counted on their defense a little bit more because it certainly did look like they knew they would be able to stop Michigan as much as they possibly could, and they just kind of. Kind of got a little conservative there for me with their offensive play call in the second half. Nevertheless, they did win by seven. The game was a lot closer than it really felt. Uh, the final score is a lot yeah, closer than it yeah. really felt. Um, and I got to tell you, looking at Michigan, and we could start there if you want, um, they got a lot of questions to answer. First of all, their, their defense didn't look that great in the first half. And he needs to settle on a quarterback because I got to tell you, I thought McCaffrey <laughs> McCaffrey had a better, it was more impressive to me when he came in relief than Shea Patterson did as a starter. Clearly, that was the case. Yeah, I know. Uh, even texting with some buddies that were watching the game, they they couldn't believe that Patterson even came back in because McCaffrey did seem to provide a little bit of a spark. I want to go back to one of the points you made, Rags, because I think it's important. It was certainly what I took away from the game as well. While Notre Dame looked a little flat offensively in the second half, I think you're exactly right. I think that was by design, yeah. and I kind of like it, to be honest with you. Let Wimbush come out, do his thing in the first half, build some confidence. Don't do anything to tear down that confidence. It reminds me very much of the 2012 team that went undefeated in the regular season and then obviously lost in the national championship game in that it was defense first. Okay, Everett Golson, don't spoil things. Be a game manager. Take care of the football. If we have to punt it away, we'll punt it away, and we'll start over. But uh, I thought that was the same mindset that Brian Kelly and the coaching staff had. So you walk away, Brandon Wimbush gets a big win, and now you really have three fairly easy games in a row here, starting with two at home in Ball State and Vanderbilt. So, But you know what, Todd? I, I, you, did see ahead, the, you did see the danger in that game plan late because it kept Michigan around, and they legitimately had a chance to maybe even steal that game if a couple bounces go the right way towards the end of the game because they were just hanging around, and they got within yeah. seven, and there was still time left for maybe something else to happen. Yeah, you know, yeah, a lot of credit has to go to this Notre Dame defense. I know what you're saying, and, and certainly even you know the, the game-winning play at the end um, when Khalid Kareem sort of forced uh, forced Patterson into that strip sack yeah. uh, by Tillery. Uh, that was, you know, that was a chance for Michigan to tie the game there. That yeah. was their final possession. It's how it went, and I, it, it was interesting to me because as I started looking at the numbers, it really was a statistical draw, and and that really surprised me to be honest with you. 21 first downs for Notre Dame, 20 for Michigan. Uh, the rushing yards were a little skewed because Michigan only had 58. Um, I'm going to get back to that here in a little bit. Notre Dame had 132. When you're talking about total yards, Michigan had 307, Notre Dame 302. So I think the, I think the sacks really were the difference in that Notre Dame had three of those. And then I mentioned the fumble, and that was big at the end of the game, and a couple turnovers there on, on Michigan's side. But all in all, I, I think it was a very – it was a great performance, and Brian Kelly was actually asked after the game just to kind of evaluate what's going on with this program. You know, keep in mind this this win. I know several months separated it, but it comes on the heel of of a ni- another nice win against a ranked team in the twenty one seventeen Citrus Bowl uh, beating of LSU. And so Brian Kelly was kind of asked, "Okay, does this win against Michigan and what happened late last year against LSU does this suggest that perhaps you, your program is humming on all cylinders?" And we're not going to get these ups and downs anymore. And he was also asked kind of what you, what he took away from the Michigan game. And here's what he had to say. I think the things that stand out uh, for me, one, Brandon Wimbush. I thought he played uh, with a an edge to him, uh, a confidence, 
Um, he got the game ball uh, tonight. Uh, he he really had an energy to him, uh, which brought the group with him. I thought that the offensive line handled a lot tonight. I thought they did a great job uh, with a first-time starter at left tackle. Um, and, and uh, you know, look, the numbers are not going to jump off the page, but we did what we needed to do against arguably probably the best defense that we're going to see uh, this year. There's a lot of really good players on that defense. And that defensive line is, is, uh, is relentless. Um, we can pour guys in at, at, at you and uh, keep the pressure on you. So, you know, when, when, you're, when you feel really good about the physicality of your football team, the offensive line and defensive line, your quarterback is a spark. Uh, and on the perimeter, we made some 50-50, you know, won some 50-50 battles. That's a pretty good football team. So I think we got a pretty good team. Well, our last two games that we played, we've, we've, we've beaten really good defenses and really good personnel. Um, and so, and close games. And, and winning close games against really good, you know, football teams, that usually lends itself to you probably got a pretty good football program and keep building it and keep recruiting and, you know, keep, keep a healthy culture and organization. You should, should be having the kind of atmosphere we had tonight. Wasn't that cool? That was... That was as good as I can remember. Every night game, you always get that kind of fun atmosphere. And you, t- you, you bring up LSU. I mean, I don't take much from year to year, but LSU handled Miami very easily in week yeah. one as well, too. So uh, if, it, if it's the same type of LSU, LSU team, you figure, yeah, those are two back-to-back wins that you can put in your bank and feel pretty good about. I, c- I could have found other people, better candidates to give the game ball to, and I think this goes to they were really massaging Brandon Wimb, the psyche of Brandon Wimbush. I think they want to keep his confidence high. He's raving about Rand- Brandon Wimbush, and frankly, you know, he's 12 of 22 for 170 yards with a touchdown and a pick passing. Nothing too spectacular there, really, in my opinion. He had 59 rushing yards, uh, was sacked twice. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think I probably would have gone with somebody on the defensive side of the ball, but I understand what Brian Kelly's trying to do. Really take care of this kid's psyche, really keep him upbeat, and just let him know he's doing the right things when he's winning football games. So I don't blame Brian Kelly for doing it, but I think there's ulterior motives here. Well, and, you know, I can only think of that whole closer thing with Ian Book. It'd be nice if you got a little more aggressive and you teach him how to step on another team's throat as well when you have a lead and just bury a team, Mm -hmm. which would be nice to get that confidence built up in him as well. But I'm nitpicking. Well, you you, you are. Maybe so, Rags, but when when Brian Kelly came out then on Tuesday for the Ball State press conference, and I didn't cut this up so I don't have it, but I will relay it. When Brian Kelly came out on Tuesday, the first thing he said, he said there was things we learned things we need to work on, and things we're pleased with. And he started with the one thing that they need to work on. He said exactly what you said. He said, we have to learn to put teams away. We can't let teams hang around and get back in the game. I don't know how much of that goes on Wimbush, how much that goes on the play calling, the strategy of the second half. I don't know, but it was something that he quickly pointed out on Tuesday. Well, no doubt about it, the force to be reckoned with. And we talked about last week how, yeah, Michigan's defense, Michigan's defense. But let's face it, Notre Dame's got a very formidable defense as well. The big fatties really controlled the trenches on both sides, offensive and defensive line. And if you want to start with the D-line, that's great. But I think they controlled the game, and that's where the game was pretty much won, Todd. I thought so, too. Yeah, the big uglies up front on the defensive side did a nice job. And this has been a unit that has traditionally underachieved under Brian Kelly. You know, first of all, it's hard to recruit to those positions here at Notre Dame. But he's doing a good job there. He's filling that out. But keep in mind, uh, these the, the defensive line as a whole 
They combined for 15 tackles. Three and a half of those were for loss, and all three of the sacks uh, came from came from the defensive line unit. Um, and and while we talked about Michigan hanging around and being in the game through the first three quarters, Michigan only had 178 yards. They were three and nine in, on third down. So. I mentioned Kareem, Khalid Kareem. This was his first career start, and he was nothing but outstanding. He had eight tackles, one and a half for loss, and he had a sack. And I mentioned that critical quarterback hurry that really forced the game-winning turnover at the end. He doesn't really get any credit for any of that, but it was his play that made it happen. So not a bad way to, to uh, make your first career start. And then he even earned defensive player of the uh, National Defensive Player of the Week honors. So... Not too shabby. Uh, obviously, Tillery had the big fumble strip sack. He played. He had a, a nice game, game as yeah, well. He played a yeah, really he played game. a good game as well. So, I think for me, if you were going to give a game ball, I think it would have gone to Kareem. But uh, this guy was—he was an interesting story, Rags. We've talked about him a little bit in the past, but I thought it was worth revisiting. You know, this is a guy that was really pushing Jay Hayes, the former starting defensive end there. He was pushing him in the spring and in the summer, and Brian Kelly started to indicate that, well, we, you know, he's got a chance at starting. When Hayes heard that, he transferred out of here and went to Oklahoma. So that position is all Kareem's now, and it certainly looks like the Detroit native uh, can hold that down. Because keep in mind, he played in all 13 games last year, but he was backing up Hayes. So even though he played in all 13 games, it was really minimal snaps. He still managed 21 tackles. He had five for loss and three sacks and a fumble recovery. So for minimal snaps, that's pretty good production. No doubt about it. And we're going to get to the running back situation here in a second, which, you know, got a little more muddled than we'd wanted it to before. You know, it is one of the question marks even after week one. But if this offensive line keeps doing the job they, they're doing, boy, oh boy, I think I could run through some holes there and, and, and have positive yardage, Todd. Yeah, for sure. I want to visit one more thing on the defensive line before we turn the page here. Yeah, keep in mind, Michigan only had 58 rushing yards yeah. and 33 attempts, 1.8 yards per game, and I, honestly, or per carry. And I think that has to go to the guys up front. But yeah, you're right. I Brian Kelly called him. He, he thinks they're the best line in, in all of football again. And, you know, it, it wasn't... It wasn't necessarily dominating, but Michigan has a really good defensive yeah. front, and and you know from you know defense as a whole, um, you know Notre Dame did only average two point eight yards per carry. They netted out one hundred thirty two rushing yards, so that was a grind there. Did give up a couple sacks, but you never really felt like they weren't in control of things, especially when you're talking about that star studded cast over on the Michigan side of the football. I think the story that everybody was kind of buzzing about, even though the numbers weren't terrific. Uh, but Jafar Armstrong, first of all, earning the stars. It's that converted wide receiver who's been cross-training all through spring, uh, basically a, a redshirt sophomore, um, came in. He had 15 carries, which that surprised everybody, uh, for 35 yards. So, again, nothing too splendid there. Did have two touchdowns, though. That's certainly splendid. Uh, so 2.3 yards per carry. But I think the workload, the 15 carries, is what surprised everybody. We all assumed Tony Jones Jr. would be the starter and kind of the workhorse. It didn't happen. He had nine carries uh, for 45 yards, Um, so he was a nice complimentary back, but it looks like this is going to be Jafar Armstrong's backfield. As a matter of fact, he's listed first on the depth chart at running back this week for Ball State. It's going to be something to keep an eye on. He's still raw, no doubt about that. We're going to have Brian Kelly talk about him in just a second here. Um, He's still raw, but at the same time, he he really brings a lot. He understands the game. He's got endless energy. Obviously, a converted wide receiver, he can catch passes out of the backfield. So here's Brian Kelly really breaking down Jafar Armstrong and what he likes in the running game. It's going to be a while before you know he really gets all the nuances. But he's a he's an elite football player. He's just really raw. He runs as you see high. 
Um, but he can catch it, and he's physical, and he's game. I mean, he, he'll go as long and as hard as he can. Um, and, and you love that about players that just don't get tired. He's just He has that kind of cardiac um, ability. As we continue to develop, he's only going to be a better football player. That's why we were okay playing him uh, right away and, and not waiting on him. And then it really helps us with Tony because, as you can see, when he gets in there, he's physical. I mean, we were knocking some guys out of the game because of his physicality when he's fresh. Surprising. Five yards uh, a carry uh, and only nine carries. Like you said, he wasn't the, the workhorse, but Tony Jones Jr. now – uh, not he's not even a starter, and I, it, it, he didn't do anything wrong. That's what just right. confuses me. That I, I did love the way uh, Jafar Armstrong scored, especially up close. He made he, you know he sent it in, and they scored. But it it wasn't at the jet detriment to Tony Jones Jr. I, I, mm-hmm. I just wanted him to hold the ball a little bit more. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. It looks like Brandon Wimbush is the number one runner. It does on this seem team, that way, though. doesn't it? You yeah. know, he had 15 carries for what was it, 59 it's yards? It's actually 19 carries. Yet. He actually had 19 carries. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yep, 19 carries for 59 yards. Yeah, obviously, uh, some of those goes, a couple of those go as sacks, and that kind of chips into his yardage total. Um, but I, I, I guess I'm somewhat encouraged because you and I were very much worried about this position group. Didn't know what they had. So it's nice to see that indeed a guy like Armstrong is stepping up. And obviously, as we've talked about the entire offseason, there was no sign of Dexter Wimbush, at least, or Dexter Wimbush, Dexter Williams, uh, when it came to actually game playing time. And that's probably going to be four games. So keep in mind, he's still in the barn and he's going to become available. So I don't know what this rotation will look like. Probably a three headed monster once that happens. Um, but. Yeah, it's weird. He, 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 he had a uniform on, too. Uh, it's really odd what this whole Dexter Williams situation is. He was on the sideline. He he, yeah. he could have gone in if there was a play, you know, they they wanted him. So it, it's just odd. if he's Is he suspended or is he not suspended? What are we doing with him? It's the Stefferson thing from last year, the very same thing. Yeah. They're never going to come clean on it, but obviously he's he's suspended. But, you know, still part of the team, still at practice and all that good stuff. So, um, But back to that offensive line, I think the big concern there was Liam Eikenberg, his first start at left tackle, you know, and a little bit of a makeshift. A couple veterans and Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer there. So there are there was some returning uh, consistency in, that you had along the offensive line. A lot of these guys that play, Robert Hainsey, Tommy Kramer, they split time at right tackle last year. So it's not a brand new look line, although you lost a couple of the greats in Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. It's, you know, it's still a solid line, and, and I think Brian Kelly is on to something. This can only help their confidence. When you can go in and you can do a number on Michigan, who uh, Brian Kelly even says arguably the best defense we will play all year, certainly especially up front, I think. So when you can hold your own, that can only help your confidence, especially in the first start. So actually here's Brian Kelly talking a little bit about the play of the O-line. You know, I think we've got one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. I think Jeff Quinn does a great job of communicating. Um, He sorts out things for those guys uh, on the sideline. He's making adjustments. And those kids really know what to do and how to do it. I mean, it's it's one thing, um, you know, to prepare for those guys. But let me tell you, when the game starts, it's coming from everywhere. And he's able to help them and sort things out. And um, they're they're a really good group that can can kind of run on the fly. Um, so I think we've got a good situation there with with Liam now getting his first start. 
Um, I think his heart rate's come down considerably. He's a lot more calmer. I think that's a good thing. And, and uh, getting Hainsey back in there at right tackle, where Tommy really feels comfortable at that right guard, is a good rotation for us. You know, Todd, not to knock Michigan when they're already down, but after that game, I said to myself, boy, Harbaugh really didn't do much for me to feel good about him moving forward the rest of this year and at the program itself after that first. I know it's just one week, but that, that right. stat that stat of uh, Owen, was it 17 now, against uh, ranked opponents on the road, something, something pretty substantial that he cannot get over the hump here, that has me concerned. Yeah, especially with all the talk and all the hype about Shea Patterson coming in and being the savior at quarterback for Harbaugh, and that just didn't happen. Again, I'm going to reserve judgment because I think Notre Dame is a lot better than what I, I honestly believe they were going to be. So I kind of want to see some of this play out a little bit. Keep in mind, I don't remember what year it was. I want to say maybe 2012. It might have been the 12 year there, perhaps 2015. It might have been 2015. But Notre Dame beat Michigan State, made Michigan State look really bad early yeah. in the season, getting King 3, I believe I it was. That. Yeah. And, uh, Ended up being Michigan State's only loss of the entire season. They made so, the playoffs that year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just I'm going to reserve judgment a little bit. I th- still think this Michigan football team is a good one and, and is going to rebound. Actually, they dropped to number 21 while Notre Dame moved up to number eight. Um, so I'm going to reserve judgment because I think a lot of the credit has to go to Notre Dame instead of the detriment to Michigan. But I still think your point is well made because Jim Harbaugh certainly in these rivalry type games has not done a very good job. All right, Todd. We've got a couple of minutes left here to look ahead. Now, no, you know, no disrespect to Ball State, but you know, probably spent a little more time looking ahead with games up coming up. Now, Ball State did a romp. They beat Central Connecticut last week. I think they broke a record for uh, yardage, six hundred twenty-five yards or something like that, which is all well and good. It's an FCS team, so they should be winning that way. But this offense can move the ball. Question is, is if the Notre Dame defense step steps up, how good can they move the ball? Yeah, I think that's when you look at Ball State, certainly you go right to the offense because all their horses are back um, from last year, starting with Riley Neal, the quarterback, um, and then moving on to Caleb Huntley, who's backing up at running back uh, James Gilbert. So let me start a little bit with that 42-6 win over Central Connecticut. Uh, Neal was 23 of 30 passing, 259 yards, two TDs and no picks. So that's pretty efficient stuff there against what a lousy defense um, Gilbert ran for 100 yards on, on 14 carries with a touchdown, and Huntley added 73 yards on only eight carries. So uh, good stuff there for sure. When you're looking at balanced offense, that's what you're looking for. Obviously, Central Connecticut's defense will be a different animal uh, than what Ball State will face this week. But that was kind of the formula that was expected with those big three back uh, from last year. Uh, third coach Mike New, um, he's doing a pretty good job, at least showing some signs of life, you know, they're picked to finish last, but you think they should be a little bit more competitive than they were last year because they were not very good last year. Let me pull up some of this stuff here. Um, they were outscored last year 488 to 215 um, on the season, and then they went 2-10. and 10. Uh, They lost their last, last nine games of last season, and they were just crushed in the MAC. They were just getting beat up by almost every team. Um, so... Certainly not an elite opponent. As a matter of fact, we picked them as the easiest opponent on the schedule. I think what this gives for Notre Dame is a chance to get... They didn't. They weren't able to play a lot of freshmen against Michigan, and I didn't figure they would. I think they mixed in maybe five or six rags. I don't have that exact number. I meant to get it, and then it kind of slipped my mind. But this game sets up very much like that freshman game where, where hopefully Notre Dame is a five-touchdown five favorite. 
where they can mix in a lot of players. And I think you'll see all three quarterbacks playing that mm-hmm. game in this game. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Wimbush Book and Phil Yurkovich. So this, I think that's what this game is all about, really. It's, it's a tune-up game. It's a chance to, to try some different things and to see a lot of different players. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. Hopefully that plan holds together because uh, you never know. Sometimes Notre Dame can play down to their opponent, especially off after a big win. Well, this is a bank deposit game for the Ball State uh, program, that's for sure. You right. know, they're going to get a nice crisp check in the mail and uh, deposit it appropriately, and that's really what this is about. They get nice exposure here, and it, and in the long run, should help out that program. I've got a final score since I've got the last one right. I'm going to go first here, Todd, and uh, I have honors. Uh, I'm going to say 35-14 um, Notre Dame, and it'll be over early, and you'll be able to enjoy the rest of your Saturday afternoon. Wow, you Ball State scored 14 points. Now that's impressive stuff. I have 42 to 3 Notre Dame. Wow. Um, yeah, Cardinals rushing 318 last week. That's not going to happen this week. I think Notre Dame jumps them early, jumps them often, and then this time indeed does put the foot on the throttle. All right, Todd, uh, fun doing it. We'll do it all over again next week uh, when we talk more Notre Dame sports. The Blue Gold Report podcast brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And don't forget, wherever you found us, make sure you rate us and you uh, give us a nice review, too. Todd, we'll talk next week, my friend. Looking forward to it, Rex. Thanks, man. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.